Where did you go to school? And who is your daddy? What do you think of what's going on right now, mate? These evil little invisible parasites. Satan-worshipping Freemason morons. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not run by factions. Get the fuck out of here! There are much more powerful international forces in play. Is this pink guy? Is this what pink guy is? I don't fucking know what's happening. Please go outside and look at the moon quickly. It's been crazy, guys, but guess what? It's how it is, mate. Mate, because I want to do this Well, I ain't spending any time on it. Welcome to the Condition Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crims, and con artists. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and this week we have some listener feedback from my niece, Stevie, who listens to the podcast, but would like to see some changes to the contents. How dare she? Do you think that Uncle Joel should record one of his podcasts without using one swear word? And would you listen to his podcast if he didn't swear? Yes. Do you think it would be a lot better? Yes. What would you like Uncle Joel to know about swearing? Um, what do you want to tell that, him? That um, it's naughty out and, and you have to be very careful sometimes because um, sometimes when you're saying it too much, um, people sometimes call the pee some people who say that a lot. Really? So you think Uncle Joel might have the police come if he keeps swearing? That's pretty serious. What would happen if the police came? Well, he would have to um, um, have, not he have to have a shoot, he just would have to um, have a talk with them. What do you think the police would say to Uncle Joel? Um... Do you promise you won't keep swearing? Well, that seems like a reasonable thing to say. But I don't think he wants to. Well, there you have it, folks. I can't Mm. swear this week. Not only at Stevie's request, but also under the threat of police intervention. (laughs) Stevie says the cops are just going to have a chat, but we all know how the police like to handle me in situations like this. Oh, uh, come offensive on. behavior, resist arrest. Um, the, the trifecta, really. Oh, uh, the, the hamburger with a lot. <laughs> yeah, they do. But she didn't mention me. You know, can I? Can't I say fuck every now and then, Joe? Please. Technically, you weren't mentioned. Technically, maybe yeah, she doesn't care yeah, about you. Yeah. I'm not sure. But do you want the cops coming to your place for a chat? Yeah, that could be problematic. Yes, I'll try not to swear, Stevie. I'll try just for you and just this once. But next week, it's game on. I'll be swearing like Alex Jones and John Barillaro had a baby. Yeah, I'm going to be setting up a recurring police visit in my <laughs> Google Calendar from then onwards because I'm just going to be up uh, Mud Creek. Without a paddle, yes. when we resume Mud. normal programming Mud and my niece calls the police on me. <laughs> I'm going to have the police called on me for swearing. But this isn't the only change to the COP format. We are looking at doing the full program fortnightly with rabbit hole deep dives every other week. It gives uh, Pete twice as long to be funny, solves yep. twice as long to be embarrassed in court, but yep. also twice as long, long to look into the weird, wonderful and stupid things we like to discuss on the show. Yeah, this is just going to give us a bit more space to look further into things of interest and knock the top of a few fascinating topics. I'm going to kick it off next week with a look at the Great Reset, you know, Klaus Ooh, Schwab, yeah, interesting. and we'll just go from there. But I like getting my hands dirty with this stuff, and a week isn't enough time. Yeah. But... We do have a full episode today, and in our rabbit hole, a serious discussion on the Uluru Statement. What it is, 
how it might work, and how we really need to get this done. Good discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. But we are genuflecting again, begging yep. with sad looks on our faces. Aww. This is a podcast built of blood, sweat, and tears, and urine. Quite a lot of urine, actually. I insist on room temperature, uh, while Joel likes his chilled. But in order to keep that piss, sorry, sorry, wee-wee, coming, <laughs> we need your help. I actually inject most of mine as directed by Christopher <laughs> Key, the vaccine police, but, you know, that is actually a thing. He does that on video. So mm. please consider signing up at www.patreon.com slash the conditional release program. And from five bucks a month, you get all sorts of rambling content from us to keep you amused. Honestly, it's enough to keep you amused till the end of time. And speaking of the end of time, when the sun explodes, giving us precisely three minutes to get our affairs in order, Check out some porn and maybe have one off the wrist before the apocalypse arrives. It's time for the Conditional Release Program's weekly news. The 45th POTUS' mansion at Mar-a-Lago in Florida has been raided by the FBI, but it's not about January 6th mm. and Trump's involvement or possible incitement of the insurrection. Yeah, former President Donald Trump said today, that's the 9th of August, that the FBI had raided his Mar-a-Lago club and searched his safe. Oh. Activity related to an investigation into the potential mishandling of classified documents, according How could to they two people familiar with the probe. One of those two, who spoke to WAPO, the Washington Post, on the condition of an anonymity to discuss its details, said agents were conducting a court-authorised search as part of a long-running investigation of whether documents, some of them top secret, were taken to the former president's private golf club and residence instead of being sent to the National Archives when Trump left office. That could be a violation of the Presidential Records Act. There's also another crime, which we'll mention in a minute, which requires the preservation of memos, letters, notes, emails, faxes, and other written communication related to a president's official duties. Oh, yeah. And we know how this is going to trigger them on Clinton, but yeah, that's going to Oh, yeah. According to the Washington Post, searching a former president's property to look for possible evidence of a crime is highly unusual and would require <laughs> approval from the top levels of the Justice Department. It represents a historic moment in Trump's tortured relationship with the Justice Department, both in and out of the White House. Yeah, it's not just highly unusual. It is unprecedented. I yes. mean, that word unprecedented normally just goes along with the Trump presidency, but, but uh, yeah, it's never been done before. A Justice Department spokesperson declined to comment when asked whether Attorney General Merrick Garland, obviously a Biden appointee, approved the search. The FBI also declined to comment. In a lengthy statement in which he equated the raid to Watergate, uh, Trump accused the FBI of even breaking into his safe. He provided no further details on what federal agents were looking for or what else happened during their visit. My beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents, Trump said in a statement released through his political action committee, Save America. If some documents were taken from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, clearly marked classified, top secret, you know, like in the cartoons, like a top secret stamp on the folder, then mm. Trump may have broken the law, specifically, and I hate US code law, section 2071 of Title 18 of the United States Code. Not confusing at all. Oh, no, I'm just going to gargle marbles and say it again, which makes it a crime if someone who has custody of government documents or records, quote, willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, Ooh. falsifies, or destroys them. 
I thought mm. obliterate and destroy would be the same. It does matter. Yeah, so there's the President's Act and Section 2071 of Title 18 of the United States Code oh, that, maybe, that maybe the 45th POTUS has breached. Oh. And if Trump had unlawfully taken government files when he left the White House, uh, focused attention on an obscure criminal law barring removal of official records. The penalties for breaking that law include... This is the big one. Drum roll. Disqualification from holding any federal office, including the president, naturally enough. Now, that is a tantalising prospect. That would solve so many problems. Just solve so <laughs> many well, impending problems. We are problems. a long way from that. But if he was found to be guilty of that, of, oh. of breach of Section 2771 of Title 18 of the United States Code, he would be barred from running for office. Good. Trump said the raid was, and I quote, unannounced. Now, pretty sure that's the way police raids work. You know, uh, I don't think they send out cards in advance. We'll be popping over at about 10, between 10 and 11, you know, so just be aware, you know, and, and look, if you would if you would be so kind as to RSVP um, on the attached card here. Yeah, it doesn't really no, doesn't work, work that, that way. way. Raids no. tend to be a bit sudden, a bit surprising. Trump went on to say it was not necessary or appropriate. Oh, the former president, without evidence, accused Democrats of weaponizing the justice system against him. Always the victim. Always a victim, and in in, in you know, falling into lockstep, m- many Republican lawmakers and political candidates also reacted with outrage Monday night, declaring the search of Mar-a-Lago a politically motivated attack intended to impede Trump's chances if he runs for president again. Mm-hmm. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy from California, who is poised to possibly become Speaker should Republicans win the majority in November's midterm elections, and that's the tip at the moment, vowed to launch an oversight in investigations into the Justice Department. The Department of Justice has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization. You no. see the number of times the word weaponized is used. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, that was McCarthy on Twitter. Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. Yeah. All right, champion. And also Florida's Ron DeSantis weighed in with this. The raid on Mar-a-Lago is another escalation in the weaponization. Oh, there, it, there is, it is. There it is again. Of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents, while people like Hunter Biden get treated with kid gloves. Weird, like that, Joe. Don't know. Yeah, like I mean, like no, not really. And this is something DeSantis tweeted on Monday night, which was just hours after news broke the FBI had searched Trump's residence. But I mean, come on, man. Like I mean, Hunter Biden is not running for office. He is not part of the government. Stop talking about Hunter Biden. He's just a crackhead who uses his dad's name to get hookers. The regime. The regime, Joel. It's not a government. It's the regime. The Biden crime family is actually my favourite. <laughs> I love that. Like, what does that even mean? Meaning- That's why they use loaded terms like that. You don't use the term government. You say regime. Yeah, Totally. Now, just going back into history here, Trump nominated the current head of the FBI, Christopher A. Ray, to the position in 2017 after firing the previous FBI director, James B. Comey, uh. amid a probe into whether any Trump campaign advisors had conspired with Russian operatives to influence the 2016 election. <laughs> that was why he was impeached the first time. Mm-hmm. But in other words... Trump's house was raided, or the raid was approved by the very man he appointed to head up the FBI, which is very, very funny. It is pretty funny. Uh, Mari Lago is closed in the summer months in Florida, and Trump's because it's too hot. I mean, yeah, it's actually too hot. You're weakies. You are, you are soft. 
for Floridians who live at Mar-a-Lago, you are soft. It gets pretty hot. Trump's advisor said he was not there on Monday. He wasn't present. He was up at Bedminster on the golf course there, I believe, and had been in New York. Uh, Mourning earlier. the death of his ex-wife, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yes. He'd, and he'd counting the tax breaks he got from burying her there. <laughs> <laughs> When the search involving more than a dozen FBI agents was conducted, oh, I'd love to see some footage. Trump Oof. advisors said a coterie of agents coterie. arrived Monday morning and left by late afternoon. There were few Trump employees around, but the Secret Service was present. They're still guarding him. I, I, I thought that had to stop. Anyway, yeah. the former president has spent much of the summer at Bedminster, his golf resort in New Jersey, as I said before. But on Monday, he was in New York, according to a person familiar with his whereabouts. Trump's team was given no heads up about the search, several advisors said. No Again, shit. Raid. Yeah. It's gonna a raid. Be a, gonna be a bit of a surprise. You're not meant to be able to conceal the evidence first. They don't go, oi, you should definitely flush those yeah. drugs, bro, because we are yeah. coming to your we, house. We, we're just gonna give you a couple of hours to get rid of all the stuff. Yeah, and, or at least and then we're then we're gonna break in. Chew the acids so you can have a good time. Uh, there was no indication the FBI had searched any of Trump's other properties, and advisors said law enforcement had not. Yeah. But what does it mean though about the Justice Department and Trump in relation to January 6th? To paraphrase Tex Perkins, you better get a lawyer, son. But not Rudy Giuliani again. He's terrible <laughs> and you still owe him money. And he needs it too. Poor Rudy. <laughs> so, really Joel, it. it has been a while since we checked in with local cookers. How's that all going? Yeah, it's not great. I, I wouldn't say it's going well. It never we'll, is, but... We'll start off as usual with the Canberra Stayers, who are... Yeah. The all-stars and also the biggest losers. <laughs> a few of them are still staying. I don't know who they are and their names, but they seem to be still making content. I'm not sure why. They're just barely clinging to hope in these sub-zero nightly temperatures, Ooh. sleeping in their cars, unable to start <laughs> campfires because the cops will come and move them on. But with no other place to go and no other reason to live, they continue their fight against pedophiles in buildings, right. magistrates in Canberra, and Damn generally right. just vaccines. <laughs> They're still yelling at the Governor General's place. <laughs> they managed to cover the entire driveway in chalk, writing out protecting pedophiles and all the rest of the mm. nonsense they go on about, exposed 28, blah, blah, blah. And as usual, they're just continually testing the patience of local police until breaking point. Snap. Yeah, you know. snap it do. And while it's an absolute miracle these people aren't having the book thrown at them, they've been getting in minor trouble when they push a little too hard on the local wallopers and wind up fronting up to court with their magic sausage tricks. Uh, basic procedural results are considered massive wins over the invalid court system. So they just keep using them. Yeah, it's really frustrating to watch. Monday morning saw Wally... And for those who don't know, this Wally guy spends his life dressed as Wally from yeah. Where's Wally. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not fun anymore. It, yeah, exactly. This is the thing. Like, it'd be funny if it happened a couple of times. If this was like a thing that he did, like at parties, or yeah. like it was like his, oh, his no. meme thing. No, hey, hey, folks, Where's it, Wally? Here he it, is. It's like permanent. All right, mate. All does right. he have like five of these outfits, or does he just not wash? I don't know. Oh, the one I thing. I suspect the latter, Joel. I think I really, that's the situation. I really do. But he did dress as a normie for court. So people got to see yeah. Wally in his unwallied form, which was a rare treat, I suppose. Wally is facing charges from March 29th for failing to clearly display registration plates. And this yeah. is pretty standard for these types of people who are just convinced that car registration is a scam. But they do often tend to chicken out when it comes to actually driving unregistered and not providing a license. Yeah, I'd also say that ha having a charge like that is, is is evidence that police are just going, what can we get this guy for? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you've not tested our failing patients. Failing to clearly display registration plates because he's got a bit of mud or shit on his car, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Now, 
Thanks to Karen Barron on Twitter for capturing this absolutely captivating content of the uh, aftermath of the, the court case. Excellent work, Ken. For my actions by you guys. So while his case was adjourned, uh, they asked him to plea. He said, I don't have a case to answer for, and that he wanted to uh, strike the strike the, um, strike the charges, and the judge went straight to um, adjourn until September sometime. Whereas before when we were doing that, they were entering a plea for us. Now they realise that that's leaving them open because they asked him, did he understand the charges? And he says, I don't understand, but I heard what you said. So then if the judge enters a plea for you, then the judge is accepting the charges. It's a good play. So, yeah. It's all about the word, eh? The word and understanding word and, and then not owning a certain word when they try to make you own yep. it. It's just, and it's a damn shame it's a game because we came here for justice, not to play a bloody game. Yeah, it's all a game of chess. It's a, it's a giant debate, guys. It's a debating team. And it's like, we came here for justice, not to play a bloody game. But yeah, then immediately right. contradicted by his mate, who then goes on to say that it's a game of chess. But mm-hmm. it is, of course, neither of these it's things. None it's none No, it's court. It's law. It's just, I can't explain jurisprudence to you right now. But you're not looking for justice because you don't understand the concept. You don't comprehend it, sorry, because understand means to be standing under justice and you don't do that because you're an annoying child. (laughs) So when you say you don't have a case to answer for, that isn't clever, it's not smart, that's what a five-year-old, that's what Stevie would say to my sister. Don't swear, Joe. I don't have a case to answer for. I'm sorry, Jess. I would love to own up to the situation I'm in, but I don't have a case to answer for and I don't understand you because I don't understand under your power. You don't get to cause trouble and then turn up to court and say, nah, I'd rather not be charged. Hey, nah, yeah. nah, not in the mood. And Jesus the judge is just like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you were looking for legal sanctions. <laughs> oh, oh, you come to the wrong place. We better we better dismantle a 600-year-old criminal justice system right now. I mean, look, there's no other option. And look, um, <laughs> we'll give you $1,000 as well, just for funsies. <laughs> Like they, they go outside and it's like the case being adjourned is some sort of win, but it's not a win. It just delays the inevitable, which <laughs> unfortunately is just a slap on the wrist anyway. Yeah, You're not going to go to jail for this. You're just hassling the court to the point where the court goes, you know what? Not today. Mm. And I was gonna, I was gonna just charge you, you know, seventy five dollars in court costs, but now I'm gonna charge you about five hundred. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I make you come back as well. But the thing is, they just they keep breaking laws to get yep. some attention. Their lives have no meaning, so they become these amateur tantrum throwers. <laughs> and in doing this, they've managed to get a little bit of clout. People know their name at rallies. They maybe give them a hot dog or something. Mm. It's made your brain feel good on the internet when you get clicky likes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, those endorphins start rushing. And so you just keep doing it. It's pathetic. Just bizarre behaviour, Joe. Yeah, to think these are otherwise normal people who have just had their brains completely cooked by online conspiracy theories is wild. You've got to think someone who dresses up as Where's Wally every day already had a few, you know, few screws missing. Yeah, Two marbles just hit the deck. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. We've also got road rage news, though. Oh, yeah, saw that. Mm. Oh, yeah. In other road-related crimes, we saw a very well-built cooker, and well done him, attacking an elderly couple's car with a boomerang. Oh, just the verve and courage of the man. You catching this? Yeah. Fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, you idiots. You fucking idiots got the vaccine, didn't bother you? 
Posters on Reddit recognize him as Eddie Von Moga, brother Hello. of bodybuilder Callum Von Moga, Ooh. who is actually quite well known for his meth and steroids habit. Oh, which what could not, go wrong? Not a great mix, you know. <laughs> it's like rum and coke, and it looks like it runs through the family here with young Eddie, who's looking pretty pretty fit, having Ugh. a proper meth fit during a road incident. And in this video, which you just heard a fraction of, Eddie is seen smashing a rearview mirror and repeatedly hitting a window with a boomerang. And I did try my best to enhance the audio because the issue is at the start of the clip, there's an intact window between the petrified elderly passengers Mm. and the psychotic meth-fueled steroid buffed idiot out there hitting the window with a boomerang. Yeah, the window's up because they're terrified. This guy's just attacking them and their car for no good reason. So the window's up and it eventually gives way. But while it's up, you can't hear him say, you've broken my boomerang. (laughs) (laughs) My boomerang won't come back. He breaks it in the act of trying to smash the window. (laughs) Yeah. You broke my boomerang. After the boomerang breaks, you broke my boomerang. (laughs) <laughs> My boomerang won't come back. He goes and grabs his backup boomerang. <laughs> yes, he had a spare. He had a spare. I reckon he's got more than a couple. He probably uh, does. But, but doesn't box. need it because he smashes the window with his hand. Well done, that man. And he does. As he I said, you know, I mean, like, let's get this man the St. George Cross, you yeah. know, for, for bravery, you know, in, in, in the in, in the sight of terrified elderly people. I mean, look, whenever I take on elderly people in a road engine or any kind of public incident at all, I'm always worried that maybe they used to be a boxer. You know, back in my day, I was pretty tidy. <laughs> get out and just go bang, bang, bang. Just flatten me, you know. That would make good footage. So Eddie's brother Callum, a Mr. Universe winner, has also recently been in trouble for road rage so everything runs through the family uh, it has been alleged that he chased down a driver after threatening him with a machete oh wow but yeah. at least Eddie kept it casual you know using a boomerang yeah, or, yeah. Like, no much two nicer boomerangs. than a machete it's much nicer than a machete it's also respectful to the First Nations people although yeah. I'm guessing they were made in China considering it snapped like a twig <laughs> it did yes it did he ends with you effing both got the vaccine and it's lost your life <laughs> Now, I had to edit that for Stevie on that one, but this has been interpreted by cookers as you effing both got the vaccine and it's lost a life. Yeah. The cog started spinning it's into anti vaxxers yeah. brains. Well, his eyes were spinning in his head. They was, were. They were. So on, maybe they're inspired on, by on that. On the rage there. And, of course, in this situation where it's like everything is Antifa if you don't like the sound of it, they just they love to spin stories with just these complete lies. Cookers started posting this video on social media, but alongside the story that he'd actually tracked down the doctor that administered a COVID vaccine to one of his family members, which yeah. resulted in their death. See, lost a life. Yeah. I just don't see him doing a lot of tracking down. And I don't <laughs> see him doing a lot of deep research and finding out where people are. He's just no. jumping out of his car going nuts. Exactly. That's what he does. Yeah, meanwhile, Joel, Amanda on Twitter posted this with almost 10,000 likes and almost 5,000 retweets. <laughs> Do you die for something like that when you're Joel? Mm. Queensland, Australia, the tweet went, man tracks down the doctor that gave one of his family members the COVID vaccine and they died after taking it. This is going to be happening in a country near you soon. I mean, for starters, the incident took place in Victoria. (laughs) Not their strong point. Yeah, 
I mean, like it's just it's just bullshit from the start on a really obvious level. But it is just made up bullshit, and this is something that has been spread across right wing social media in various forms like wildfire. Yeah, and another Twitter account, this one, Ret Resurrected, posted the video with Doctor Who jabbed someone, which killed them. Confronted by extremely angry family member. That tweet got nine hundred and sixteen likes. The guy has a hundred and sixty-two followers. Mm. So let's break this down. We have. Hugely successful viral videos based on disinformation. If Ed Coper's book has taught me anything, there are robots at play here. Bots, Amplifying bots, disinformation, bots. it's definitely bullshit. I mean, like, okay, maybe like one cooker could have this like ridiculous pipe dream that this is like the narrative, but having this going across so many retweets, across so many accounts, I don't know, man. I mean, it just, mm. but it just comes back to the old adage. We've said this a million times, we'll say it a million times again. Anti-vaxxers lie. They do constantly. That's it. They just make shit up, especially and especially when one of their people looks bad. Yeah. Well, he looked okay until he started, you know, really threatening and bashing cars and so forth, and threatening threatening elderly people. I actually regret that line. He he was an attractive man. I I, I hate. Man, I want a kingdom. I hate myself saying this. <laughs> uh, I, I imagine his cock might be similar to Hunter's. But I doubt it's better. I would have kinged him. I would have yeah. kinged him. Yeah. And to wrap up the segment with a little bit of tragedy, it has been alleged that an alleged cockhead solicit in Queensland has shot dead three of his neighbours, wounding another over a disagreement about property boundaries. Mm, yep. The fourth person shot managed to drive 40 kilometres to a neighbouring farm to get help. He was gut shot, Joel. Yeah. He was shot in the stomach or in yeah. the chest. He managed to drive 40 kilometres with that slug in him to a neighbouring farm to get help. The accused has been remanded and will face court in November. Apparently, it was a very short process this morning. And the reason he's been associated with being a solicitor, and this is why he's in the show, is the sign he has on the fence that threatens a $10,000 fine to various class of people, as you said, not journalists, surprisingly enough. They need to update this site. <laughs> not journalists, but men, women, I think even children. And then there's a long list of people he won't have on the property, including police. I'm yeah. wondering wondering if like, when they came to arrest him, he said, I'm sorry, but you, you, you and you, uh, you know, with the, with the Glocks pointed at my head, uh, yeah. I'll be requiring $10,000 from a lot of you, thanks. Yes, I, I will take checks or crypto, of course. <laughs> and this is just like the sign is has a whole story. reference sheet of common law references that wildly yeah. misinterpret judgments it's completely ridiculous it's sold online to fucking idiots and nuffies who you know believe in pseudo-legal gibberish and just want to put this dumbass sign on their thing like so he's got an internet connection i can tell you that much but the mm. sign out the front this pseudo-legal gibberish sign out the front is an alarm bell in itself but it was also discovered the accused has a bit of an active imagination which solves it lying yeah mm. Posted to his Facebook were pictures of gold and this. Some gold I found at Shannonvale this week since my exploration permits came through. Won't be working for much longer if this keeps up. Yeah, not great at punctuation. So he's actually just soft who's actually obtained <laughs> mining permits or an exploration permit. Oh, that's what he says. But in reality... Probably not. There's mm. no record of that. And the pictures ah. were from Google Images. He was just lying. There you go. But this is what there people in the gosh. movement do. They just lie. It is the craziest yeah. thing. As someone who used to be a conspiracy theorist, who did feel like there was a charade going on and there were truth tellers in the background, watching the fact that all of them are just liars is so sobering. But I mean, look, they lie, but they also kill people. 
And look, a trespassing sign like this on the gate is a red flag. Oh, it yeah. takes a certain kind of person to believe the bullshit put out by the sovereign citizen movement, and I'm yet to find a subset I would call stable. But nope. what do you do with these Me. people? I mean, do you surveil them with drones? That's not going to help. It's just going to fulfill their fantasies of being watched. Are you going to put them in jail? You can't do that. There's due process involved. Yep. There are more questions than answers here. But what I would recommend is that if you come across someone indulging these types of fantasies out in the open, keep your distance, hope for the best, Stay back. Stay clear. Yeah, stay clear. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, the the alleged offences occurred, the triple murder plus the wounding, occurred over a dispute over a neighbourhood fence or neighbour's fence oh, on the property. it's as simple as uh, that. These are things that can just flare up um, all of a sudden if you're in the company of self-sits or one of the one of the people making demands. In his uh, mind, <laughs> the land is full of gold. He's convinced uh, himself of that. Probably. And that's yeah. mad. That's just mad. Yeah. Well, he's going away for a very, very long time where there is not a lot of gold to be found, Joe. Well, only because you're not looking hard enough, Jack. <laughs> oh, you have some of these teeth. <laughs> And the conditional release program is proudly brought to you today by Alex Jones's liver supplements. Ah. Good news, listeners. The price has gone up, way up, in fact, yes. to cover some unfortunate rises in overheads the InfoWars host has had to endure in recent times. Mm. Damn you, Biden administration. <laughs> is your liver fucked, listeners? Sorry, Joel. Sorry, Stevie. Listeners, is your liver not performing to its optimum? <laughs> I know Joel's liver is because when he walks around, his guts make a noise like rustling cellophane. And last time I slapped him, his nose bled for four days. I also just drank a double IPA tall can. <laughs> so why not take Alex Jones' liver supplements now? Not a steal. In fact, you may have to take out a second mortgage to buy a bottle of 10. And that's just one day supply to get that liver back in the pink. Breaking down, balancing and creating nutrients and also metabolizing drugs into forms that are easier to use for the rest of the body. And you can drink as much piss, sorry, Steve, <laughs> booze as you like when you're on them. Because let's face it, these are pretty fucking, sorry, pointless supplements. But let's not forget the placebo effect. If you think they'll work, they will. Hooray! Hey. So buy Alex Jones liver supplements, buy the barrow load so Alex Jones can pay his bills, which have taken a bit of a hike recently. Make yours Alex Jones liver supplements. FDA approval still pending. Looks like he's not the only one facing legal troubles this week, Jack. Well done. The police are coming. <laughs> yes, they are. They're on their way. I think one of the first things it says within the Constitution is all laws within all... within... And with the sounds of amateur astrologer and a man who solves Rubik's Cube's puzzles in 12 seconds flat by throwing them against a wall and swearing at them. Only Thanos Panaides shrieking into our headphones. It means it's time for which black-billed fuckwit said that. The quiz show that won Commonwealth gold in synchronised diving. Excellent work with that full pike entry, Joel. I knew you were ad-libbing, but I followed you all the way. Yeah. And if you're successful in today's which black pill fuckwit said that, Joel, you'll be richer than Alex Jones will be in two years' time. So start saving now. Or don't. It really doesn't matter. And a reminder, listeners, if you do see Alex Jones in the wild, don't feed him. Just give him all the lighter fluid you have and send him on his way. Sage advice. Now, this uh, first uh, quote comes from a listener, Kazanaki. Yeah, That's I like his that. Twitter handle. Yeah. And uh, I'd strongly advise you to uh, give him a follow. Yeah. Give uh, them a follow? Is it him? I don't, I don't even know. 
Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I probably shouldn't presume. I think so. But I don't. Cool guy. Anyway, cool guy. Anyway, and this was his uh, his quote uh, to kick off Black Bill Fuckwit. You'll never defeat the human spirit. You'll never be God. You'll never win. Never, ever, never. <laughs> and this is where we get tested. So rejoice in God Almighty for this animated contest of liberty. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Sorry about that, folks. You're going to turn the levels down on that real hard. And was that known as Gyawa Rinpoche to the Tibetan people, the 14th Dalai Lama, became of the Lama. Oh, it might. I don't know. <laughs> or was it believes in lots of things, but frankly, that whole business of an all-seeing, all-powerful God seems a bit unlikely. The senior bishop and principal leader of the Church of England, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. Or was that? Anglicans aren't quite sure about God. Anyway, uh, <laughs> or, or was that using some primal scream therapy because he had a bad week and needs to chill, Alex Jones? Mm-hmm. Or was that died on the job, came and went in AD 964, Possibly from a paralytic stroke suffered while having sex with a woman named Stefanetta. Oh. But he may have died instead when the woman's husband defenestrated him or beat him to death with a hammer during the act. Pope John the Twelfth. What I will say is defenestrating is throwing someone through a window, which is, is something Tom Ellis taught me. I had no idea, but his old nickname yeah. on the internet used to be Defenestrator, and it was yeah. kind of badass. There is an historical reference here, the defenestration of Prague, because that happened. Ah, they yeah. someone threw Prague through a window? No. How could <laughs> no, you no, possibly? I think, I think from memory there were rebels thrown through. They were defenestrated. Oh. Well, I mean, rebellion's a bad trait, and they should be defenestrated immediately. Mm. Uh, we're going with Alex Jones. Uh Oh, well done, Joel. Excellent work. Excellent powers of uh, deduction because it could yeah. easily have been Pope John the Twelfth who came and went in AD 964, apparently, although he might have been beaten to death with a hammer. I feel uh, like I'm getting a gimme here, but that's okay. It is, yeah. You're I don't getting... like a challenge. I think the challenge is overrated, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, well, yeah, you uh, you could be as rich or richer than Alex Jones in two years' time, Joel, I'll if, you, tell you, if what, you win all three. Regardless of whether we win or not, it's probably going to be quite likely, though no bankruptcy <laughs> court's going to be interested in my charred remains. <laughs> all right, quote number two. I reckon you'll get this one too. I'm not a tech guy. I told you in my testimony, I gave my phone to the lawyers. Was that? Not a tech guy, mainly in it for the shareholder value, CEO of Telstra, Andy Penn. Not a tech guy. Or was that not a tech guy playing snakes on his Motorola Micro TAC 900X <laughs> while giving testimony? Alex Jones. You had to Google that. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, or was it not a tech guy? I was once, but I'm mainly concentrating on killing people by vaccination now. Microsoft founder, Bill Gates. There is technology involved in that. I... Yeah. Take that back. He's not a tech guy. He's not a tech guy. He's, no, he's not. It's like, it's like Alex uh, with the liver supplements. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, or was it not a tech guy, more a demented, friendless bastard in an ill-fitting skivvy because he's on a strict diet of vegan death out of venom to cure what ultimately killed him, Steve Jobs? Yeah. I tell you what, I'm just going to go with Alex Jones as a casual side one, yeah? Hooray, Joe! Well done! <laughs> This yeah. is excellent. Just, uh, this is excellent powers of deduction here. Yeah. It uh, really could have been any one of those four, but it was, in fact, Alex Jones, when he confronted by uh, lawyers acting for the plaintiff, uh, who said, I got the contents of your phone, mate, it and really you told me something. in a yeah. sworn deposition 
that you hadn't got any mentions in your text messages of uh, Sandy Hook. I, I feel like I'm the only person who respects him for this like total get out of jail free cover. It's like, oh, I, I don't know how to search my phone, I suppose. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, well, it was actually in response. He goes, do you do know what perjury is? Don't yeah. You? I'm just checking, just checking yeah. that you do know what perjury is. Yeah, because I'm about is. to fist you. <laughs> All right, Joel, you're two for two and looking very, very good to get the last one and be as wealthy as Alex Jones will be in two years' time. Mm. So many supplements in my garage. So many supplements, just so many boxes of supplements. I can just take them all. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Who said this? First, they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. All right. Who said that, Joel? I could have used maybe one of those newfangled iPhones, German theologian, anti-Nazi activist and pastor, Martin Niemöller. Kind of. Or was it, who wants a phone? I can get you a phone. Only used by one guy, lawyer and Dino (laughs) Reynal. Or was it, I need a phone. Have you seen mine? I gave it to a guy a while back and I think he stole it, Alex Jones. Or was it, I don't have a phone either, but I don't really need one, diarist and victim at Auschwitz. And Frank. So, yeah, it's A, but it's not A, because apparently it was said by B, but also completely butchered in court and ruined (laughs) by an idiot. (laughs) Which is great. Ruined by an idiot. Yeah, did it was in fact Martin E. Moller who came up with what is really a poem and uh, and and a, and a very well known one. And lawyer Andino Reynal for for Alex Jones has decided to cite it uh, just a bad as idea. a form of defence. I mean, let's go through this, Joel. Alex Jones. Not a socialist. No. Alex Jones, probably not pro-trade union. No. And made quite a yeah. lot of comments that are anti-Semitic in nature, so not really uh, not yeah. really a Zionist, <laughs> profound anti-Semite, and then they came for him. Oh, yes, oh, they did. So they came really because he's an arsehole. Just a spoiled opportunity from lawyer Andino Reynal. This all came up in, in testimony on Friday, Saturday, our time, when they were picking through uh, the assets and wealth of uh, of Alex Jones and lawyer Andino Reynal thought he would cite Martin Niemöller's very famous poem. Which wasn't very smart. Not smart. Not smart. We fired you. We sacked you. We dismissed you as what? As garbage, because that's all you are. You're a criminal. You're a traitor. And you're going to the biggest barbecue in history. So from Christmas dinner to you are the dinner. Thank you. That's what I'll go with. Last week, we mentioned a Sovset idiot in a spot of bother before the courts in the ACT who claimed his name could not be mentioned in proceedings because his name, quote, did not conform with the Chicago style manual which, as listeners to last week's episode, will know is the style guide for print publishing in American English. So what? It was, <laughs> as we said, an odd reference point for odd, a man odd. fighting a criminal case in the ACT's magistrate's court, but here's what happened next. Yeah, look, most excellent friend of the program, Rob oh. Sudi, who runs a website, The Free Man Delusion. Oh, please look it up. Absolutely it do. Is- and join. It is an, a, a, it is just a magnificent resource uh, for anyone interested in sausage and what they get up to. It is a paid source, but Rob's got to make a quid like we all do. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it is, as I say, the greatest source of sausage chicanery and how they all in, ended up living on government cheese in a van, a van down, down by, down the, by river. the river. 
after <laughs> taking on the courts with their nonsense and inevitably losing. Oh, yeah, they lose. See, I'd always thought that Sov sits at a semicolon after their names or declined to give their surnames in a doomed attempt to avoid the harsh glare of big government, who, in Sovsit minds anyway, keep a gigantic database of every citizen and everything that they're up to. And this is true to a point, but it doesn't explain the Chicago-style manual reference. And then Rob, of course, explained to us in black and white on Facebook that the Chicago Manual of Styles came into prominence after Romley Stewart Stover, a free man delusional who in 2015 was up on charges of stalking four police officers in far north Queensland Mm. with associated firearms charges. Mm. What a guy. Mm. Stover invented the Glosser Theory that words written in all capital letters are a form of symbol and not proper English. Ooh. Man, you've all seen that caps thing. He concluded this after stumbling across the term glossa in Article 11147, used to describe the transcription of a hand sign in American Sign Language, which is, of course, the language of the deaf. Fuck, man, these people are idiots. (laughs) The written transcription of a sign is called a gloss. It means how to write a hand signal, but it is in effect a type of footnote, which is how it is referred to in Latin religious text to add an extra annotations to, you know, sort of various passages. You know, it's a footnote. Mm. So where all capital letters such as a surname appears in court documents, the adherent, that is the sovsit, because Rob actually speaks proper language as opposed to us who use the crude term sovsit, it's OPCA or adherent, calls this glossa or dog Latin and cannot be read and understood as English. I can't understand it, Joel. It makes no sense, but I don't stand under it. I mean, for fuck's sake. There are several mentions in the case law, and a good one being in O'Hagan versus Commissioner of Taxation in 2020, where Morzone QC noted, In these circumstances, the lack of legal knowledge is undoubtedly a misfortune for any lay litigant appearing in person, but it should not be seen as a privilege. This is all the more challenging when ignorance of the law and procedural matters are overlaid with unconventional beliefs. Mm-hmm. He's talking about sits, folks. <laughs> he really For is. reasons which remain unclear to me, he says, the appellate has a deep-rooted but apparent, genuine and firm belief that, amongst other things, the Australian government and its subordinate bodies are be- and beings are illegitimate. The laws of Australia are confined to Norfolk Island, being the only place uninhabited at the time of Federation and terra nullius, the Australia Act 1986, is invalid. The the Magna Carta is common law and is part of the law of Australia. Taxation is a voluntary system and he is unwilling to volunteer his money due to poor government expenditure. The Chicago Manual of Style, published by the Chicago University Press, is the definitive authority on the proper usage of English and that non-compliance renders the language foreign and incapable of being read. Oh, my God, I've become (laughs) illiterate. I can't Uh, read. This it's not conforming to my style manual. Fucking Witnesses' crazy. evidence, he goes on to say, was not independent and tainted because uh, they were paid to give evidence as employees of the Australian Taxation Office. This is what uh, Morzone QC is, is claiming of the uh, of the claimant O'Hagan mm-hmm. uh, because they're, they're, they have evidence that they're employees of the Australian Taxation Office. A right to a jury of peers and purported adjudication by judge alone constitutes an offence of unlawful slavery if the appellant, and he is by self-appointment, principal and executor with sole rights to use the name of 
Mark Leslie O'Hagan, demanding $500,000 per infringement. Mm Mm-hmm. Textbook. The judgment goes on. I have done my best to learn and understand the merits of the appellant's arguments to ensure a fair and full review of the case, the judge said. For the most part, the appellant's assertions could be considered a nonsense in (laughs) conventional society, foreign to Australian law, and verging on the bazaar. Yeah. And whilst very interesting... (laughs) <laughs> it's a beautiful backhander. Very it interesting. Is. It is very interesting. They are well beyond. They are well beyond the scope of this proceeding and role of this court. And oh, then, yeah. according to Rob, it goes on. The Chicago Manual of Style is definitive of the language. It does seem to be an eleven hundred and four page venerable time tested guide to style, usage, and grammar. This ground of appeal is misguided. It seems to me that it is a mere manual to of style to guide consistency of style for writers, editors, proofreaders, indexers, copywriters, designers, and publishers, informing the editorial canon with sound, definitive advice, <laughs> which it is. Mm. This is distinct f- from being definitive of the English language itself. The language is that understood of the ordinary use and meaning of the language in conventional society, and even if written in a different style with poor grammar or punctuation or syntax or slang, the court will resort to acceptance principles of interpretation and common usage to determine the ordinary meaning of the words in the community. In this case, all documents were in English and readily understood. They were properly admitted by the magistrate pursuant to Section 69 of the Evidence Act the Commonwealth. So here we have Mr. O'Hagan claiming that because the Chicago Manual of Style was ignored, not only should the, the matter be thrown out, but that Mr. O'Hagan should receive $500,000 per infringement. It's a beautiful it. thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Gotta love it. Thanks, Rob. We really, really love this because now we can rest easy knowing that we understand why the Chicago Style Manual is such a thing for subsets. The question was being thrown around. I know Celery and I were talking about that. And this is the thing. I mean, when they're living in a van Van down down by by the river and why when they get some mail from the government or anyone who publishes a name in caps or why they use public punctuation symbols before and after their names, they are trying to opt out. And then make really dodgy claims of compensation. They expect redress. Five hundred thousand on the knocker per infringement. Yeah, so no government cheese for you, Mr. All Caps O'Hagan. Semicolon hyphen asterisk, if that is your real name. <laughs> so it's comma colon hashtag zero. The man one. I, I still haven't worked it out yet. And if you haven't worked it out, keep asking the question. And keep looking for the answers. Because it's irrelevant. And today we thought we'd do a rabbit hole on the Uluru Statement, what it is, what it involves, and why it's important for the future of our country. There's going to be a lot of discussion and a referendum, possibly at some point next year, but definitely in the term of the Albanese government. And while lots of arguments continue around the referendum question and the process laid out in the Uluru Statement from the heart, it occurred to Joel and I that a lot of Australians don't know much about what the process is and how it came into being. It all comes down to the Constitution. It now, does. I'd like to remind Jack, the US Constitution was written by men like Thomas Jefferson, who kept slaves while posing high principles of legal and social equality because there's always one rule for me, one rule for thee. It's very standard stuff throughout yeah. history. John Barlara. Yeah. The Australian <laughs> Constitution was drafted by conservative men and men of their times. It's a very conservative document. 
Women's suffrage had come in South Australia, but elsewhere it would wait for almost two decades. This was the time they were in. Yeah, we're looking at you, Queensland. That's right, we always are. The legal principle of terra nullius meant they could legally and constitutionally ignore Indigenous Australians, and they did. Even constitutional moderates like Tasmania's Andrew Clark didn't seek to recognise the existence of Indigenous Australians in his first draft. Yeah, uh, Clark's uh, Clark's original draft was probably a purest form, uh, but it was. But they got together, I think, in a sailboat uh, in uh, in Man around Manly um, or somewhere in the somewhere around Mosman, I think, uh, and uh, and changed the whole thing. Red line oh. there, red line there, right? That, yeah. So the other thing our constitutional forefathers like Samuel Griffith and Henry Parks did was make the constitution constitution difficult to change and we'll get on that later but of course but as of january 1st 1901 with australia's constitution implemented in two parliaments and by referendum it completely ignored the existence of first australians yep at least until the 1967 referendum indigenous australians were not counted even in the census they had no enshrined legal right to vote and their welfare was left to the states with some very rough treatment there including the forced dispossession of land Children were seized to their mother's breasts and taken away. Massacres, disease, and the introduction of alcohol, which itself decimated communities that had just never touched a drop before. And this is all in our name. This is our mm. history. This is mm. something we have to accept. Yeah, other countries have felt obliged to make amends. The US had treaties with Native Americans and broke every single one of them in the 19th century. Ugh. And that's important because those in Australia who want a treaty first don't seem to realise a treaty is only as good as the intentions of those who sign it are, not to mention those who follow them and their intentions. In New Zealand, the Treaty of Waitangi was signed in 1840 and was an agreement between the British Crown and a large number of Maori chiefs. Today, the treaty is widely accepted to be a constitutional document that establishes and guides the relationship between the Crown in New Zealand and Maori. It is a standout success in post-colonial relations with Indigenous people. The Canadian Constitution was amended in 1982 and 1983 to recognise Aboriginal rights. In Norway, in 1988, uh, the Norwegian Parliament passed an amendment to the Constitution recognising Sami constitutional rights, their Indigenous people. And in addition, the Queensland, New South Wales and Victorian state constitutions recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Now, the Uluru Statement from the Heart is now five years old. Its origins began at a constitutional convention at Uluru attended by 250 delegates from the 115 Indigenous nations across the country. That's often a bit of a contentious figure, but I'll go with 115 across the country. It was their job to deal with a vast yawning gap in our constitution. Instead, those 250 delegates determined a way of true reconciliation and invited the country to join them in their walk. Now, it's true that seven of the 250 delegates walked out of the convention, including the Greens' Lydia Thorpe. She and they argued that they had been steamrolled into accepting a pathway they did not believe in. We'll get to opponents of Uluru's statement shortly. But the Uluru statement, those who hung around to do it, the overwhelming majority, 243 delegates who hung around to prepare it, uh, got it done, you know, and the Uluru Statement is a 440-word invitation from first Australians for us all to join them on a journey of reconciliation. It was presented to the then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and then Opposition Leader Bill Shorten in traditional artistic form. The statement in part reads, and this is the latter part of the of the Uluru Statement, Joel. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda. 
the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. We invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. Hmm. So it's an invitation. And therein lies a three-stage process of reconciliation, beginning with constitutional recognition and reform to create an extra parliamentary body to advise and consult in matters relevant to Indigenous Australians. We call that voice. Yeah. Now, Constitutional recognition must be dealt with by a referendum, but the establishment of an extra parliamentary body, just to clarify, can be actually be done by Act of Parliament. It yeah, doesn't that need could a be a of course, yeah. But constitutional recognition of First Australians is impo- is is bound uh, to cre- is bound to be created by uh, by referendum only, and that's yeah. what we call voice. And the Makarata Commission is sometimes loosely associated with a treaty, but it is more than that. Makarata is a word from the Yongu language in northeast Arnhem Land that has many layered meanings, but in the context of the Uluru Statement, it is a meeting or meetings where a negotiated settlement is reached through truth-telling. So that's the three-step process, voice, treaty, truth. Until the federal election in May, the Uluru Statement had remained more or less ignored in the national conversation, Uh, but now, uh, since that election, it might be that we are turning to it, considering it, and how it might change our perception of ourselves. You see, too often reconciliation is equated with submission, surrender or concession, a net loss on the national identity balance sheet driven by a multi-generational guilt trip over Indigenous dispossession. Sadly, too, it has fallen into what is a current national political obsession driven by cheap shots fired by oppositions and opponents generally of the kind that lead to dreary questions like, can the minister guarantee that the policy in question will leave no Australian worse off? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. It's a mad fixation designed to drive politics into paralysis. The notion that reform can only occur in the improbable event that every Australian will remain untouched by. They're taking our land. Yeah. So the Uluru Statement is not a demand, it's an invitation. At its yeah. most basic interpretation, it is an in, in, an invitation from Indigenous Australians to join them, us to join them at the table and break bread, to listen and be heard. It is a request to begin a discussion on true reconciliation, constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians, the establishment of an advisory body to the federal parliament, and ultimately Makarata, which is sometimes, as I say, confused with, with a treaty and, and often is sort of called that, but it's... It's really a little bit more than that. It is actually a process of reconciliation. So who opposes it? Who opposes it? Who's on the other side of this argument, John? Well, I think it's pretty obvious where we're going to start. It's the usual suspect and their yep. predictable opposition headlining the uh, alt-rocker Pauline Hanson. Uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party, of course, who will almost mm. certainly oppose the question, which must be passed through both houses of parliament before it can get to the people. So, yes. In the Senate, she's, she's going to vote no. You just yeah. know that. And Absolutely. so will so will Tony Weenie. Yeah. It's an absolute given. Presumably Hansen, who put on a performance during the Welcome to Country in the Senate two weeks ago, meh, 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 <sighs> doesn't believe in the statement at all. It'd be a miracle if she did. I would honestly start thinking of conspiracy theories if she Not turned. I'd be like, gonna, did George happen, Soros Joel. get to her? <laughs> 
She has reasoning up the ante on this with some divisive language and a bizarre flex about registering 46 domain names for the campaign against the referendum. And this is thanks to Cam Wilson at Crikey for that, at least that's where I saw this. Because it's just the weirdest thing ever when you start your campaign with, we don't believe in this referendum and we bought a bunch of domain names and now you're rooted, your campaign stuffed, we've got all the dot-coms. I mean, it just it's a great start to what I think is going to be an embarrassing collapse of a right-wing campaign to try and dismantle this, I would say, good objective with absurd campaigning. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you get with Teeny Weenie and Pauline, yeah. There are others who believe the creation of, adv- of an advisory body by Indigenous people establishes a third chamber of parliament. It doesn't, by the way. Its design is to create a body which makes recommendations and provides advice on legislation as it goes through and is voted on by MPs, duly elected to cast their vote. Of course. It does not provide a vote in the parliament. It is an advisory body. It is extra parliamentary. And going one step further, you've got these conservative commentators who believe the advisory body, the voice, is an inverted form of apartheid. Mm. I mean, like, this is the thing. Like, some use better language, but they continue to argue that a mention of race in the constitution itself offers some kind of threat of discrimination. Yeah, well, look, it's, 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 it's actually very strangely to me a deep irony that of the opponents, uh, Tony Abbott, as I guess, is a fairly predictable one. He yeah. is, you know, a conservative to the bootstraps, conservative in, you know, in, in his bone marrow, yeah. and and he is going to resist any uh, any form of change. So we saw that with the uh, with the same sex marriage uh, debate as yeah. well. He, he was on the opposite side. He is a naysayer, but it's really interesting that he's. His mortal political enemy from not so long back, Malcolm Turnbull, also has that same view. And for me, it's kind of like, Malcolm, if you used as a sort of, sort of, you know, a political assessment that, um, you know, anything that Tony Abbott thought was a good idea <laughs> is actually a bad idea and vice yeah. versa, yeah. then you might actually come around to this. But, <clears throat> no. but at least Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull have at least found something they can agree on. They both are opposed to The Voice because they think it establishes a race-based inequity. Burr. And this reminds me of the time Noel Pearson was talking to Abbott, who was then PM. Abbott told Noel, yeah, I'll get you a few senators, thinking the voice did have a parliamentary representation element to it. Noel, who was driving at the time, <laughs> had to pull his car yeah, over stop and, the ex- car. and explain to Abbott that the advisory body was extra parliamentary, as I say, outside the parliament. In Noel's op-ed in The Australian, he went on to explain that Abbott was nowhere near as smart as Turnbull in terms of his dealings <laughs> with him, and it took him a while to explain basic principles and processes to the former member for Warringah, whereas Turnbull understood uh, understood it but was opposed to it. Shockingly, the Turnbull government rejected the voice in a late Friday evening press statement, which is a classic trick that clearly plans to minimise the coverage of the Turnbull government's refusal to embrace the Uluru Statement's processes. It's an old government trick. You oh, yes. release the thing on the Friday night, no one pays attention, and you can get away with things. At it's- 6 o'clock. Send it out about 5.30, 6 o'clock. You just know it's not going to get national coverage. Yeah. Anything on a late Friday afternoon yep. is something you should pay attention to. Shovel out the shit. Mm. But it's okay. These people and many others will continue to oppose voice and the statement itself. Outside of Hanson's rednecks, they should not be considered racist or suffer insults 
This is politics. Ideas clash. And there is a contest to win, but the battle will be lost if opponents of voice are just simply cons- just labelled racists. Yeah, it's just not the way to go. And take no. Peter Fitzsimons' interview with recently elected CLP NT Senator Jacinda Price, an Indigenous woman and former Deputy Mayor of Alice Springs. It turned into a shit fight from all reports, apparently with Fitzsimmons uh, basically telling Price she was wrong and her stance was fueling racism. Now, if that's not paternalism, I don't know what is. You know, yeah. We'll get to Senator Price, um, <coughs> but uh, we'll get to... Uh, Senator Price shortly, but trust me, something as delicate and important as this cannot be won by insulting your opponents. It just won't work. Yeah. But there are other opponents. A week ago, I, I wrote a facey comment with likening Senators Hanson and Thorpe together. In fact, I said Thorpe was at least as bad and probably worse than Hanson. It was a bit of hyperbole, sure, but I stand by it. And I got a bit of a reaction. No biggie. But here's the thing. While Hanson and Thorpe routinely engage in dog and pony shows in the Senate chamber, there is one issue that unites them. They are both opposed to the constitutional uh, constitutional recognition of First Australians on the basis of their public statements. You could not draw any other conclusion. And when in May 2017, those 250 delegates from the 100-plus Indigenous nations gathered at Uluru for the National Constitutional Convention, it was the largest assembly of First Nations leaders in recorded Australian history, and at the end of it came the Uluru Statement from the Heart, as we explained before, and it is voice, treaty, truth. And as the delegates met to prepare a united message, seven of them walked out and a half, mentioned that before too. They appeared before media later that day. They were all from New South Wales and Victoria, or all Victoria. One of them, Lydia Thorpe, then a Greens candidate for the Victorian Legislative Assembly in the seat of Northcote, said, We, as sovereign First Nations people, reject constitutional recognition. We do not recognise occupying power of their sovereignty because it serves to disempower and takes away our voice. We need to protect and preserve sovereignty. That's a direct quote. She goes on to say, we demand a sovereign treaty with an independent sovereign treaty commission and appropriate funds allocated. So she stormed out at Uluru uh, in 2017 and said they reject constitutional recognition. Now, the Referendum Council acknowledged the process was a difficult one, but continued on. A Nangu delegate and Uluru resident, Alison Hunt, reminded the Assembly that the conference was being held on sacred land. <clears throat> and I quote, where you are talking on and standing on and visitors need to understand that. She was asking people to pull away from conflict after the seven people walked out. We have to be united. Alison Hunt said. Now, the Australian Greens were the first political party to endorse the Uluru Statement from the heart. They embraced it as it, st- as it stood. But in 2020, when Lydia Thorpe filled the casual vacancy left by former party leader Richard Di Natale, that changed. In election mode at the National Press Club in April of this year, Greens leader Adam Bant, a white Australian lawyer turned politician, determined the sequence must be altered. Not voice, treaty and truth, but truth treaty and voice. I'm going to take it as a compliment that you've uh, given me the quote from the white Australian lawyer. I guess you're, you're saying <laughs> yeah, you're going to graduate law school with flying colours, right? That's good. That's lovely. If we really want success to happen, Bant said at the MPC, it's a mistake to do it in any other order. We need to do it in that order where we tell the truth, then strike a treaty, and that will put us in the best position for reforms like the voice to succeed. Right. So that remark is the very definition of paternalism, upending it. Oh, that's why you got me to say it. Yeah, upending an agreement made by the overwhelming majority of Australia's Indigenous leaders, 
and seeking to impose the narrow view of an absolute minority. I mean, yeah. that, that is your OED definition of, of paternalism. Yeah. With Thorpe as the deputy leader of the party in the Senate, there has been another element to the party's factional colour chart of red-greens, blue-greens. Now there is a group led by Thorpe known colloquially as black-greens without the C. Uh, the green shift came amid allegations of bullying and harassment of a number of its Indigenous members who wanted to stay true to the Uluru Statement. In an op-ed for Nine Media, published in the wake of Bant's NPC address, James Blackwell, a Wiradjuri man and researcher at Australian National University, wrote that followers of the Uluru Statement were no longer welcome in the Greens. Brutal. Blackwell claimed he had suffered bullying and harassment from senior party members, including pre-selected federal candidates, and this led him to resign his membership of the party. And it wasn't just him. The Chief Executive Officer of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, Jill Gallagher, AO, a Gunichmara, woman also resigned from the party believing, and this is a direct quote, the Greens had no right to reorder the sequence of the Uluru Statement. Now, as Indigenous Minister Linda Burney has said repeatedly, a great deal of community consultation is required but before a referendum question goes before the Parliament, let alone going to a referendum. But the greatest threat to a successful referendum leading to an Indigenous voice doesn't just come from the right, it comes from the left too. And the question is, when the Parliament considers and votes on the wording of the referendum question, will Lydia Thorpe and Paul Hanson be voting as one in an attempt to reject it in the Senate? I mean, it's plausible, which fucking sucks. It's it's insane, yeah. So Adam Bant has said he won't block legislation, but the party's position on the Uluru Statement has swung wildly in the space of five years. And there are, and there will be opponents to the referendum arguing along constitutional grounds. But it seems implausible but also a bit tragic that the greens and paul and hansen's one nation are sitting united in their side of the chamber rejecting the nation's best chance at reconciliation with first australians i find that so hard to swallow Mm. i voted green in the last election i might very well vote green in the next one but this i didn't vote for the paul and hansen position is so predictable but the Greens... Yeah, well, they're, 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 tell, they're telling blackfellas <laughs> the best way about it. That's that's the thing that's really hard to deal that's with. That's kind of what's happening here. That's what Adam Band is trying to do. <laughs> and, and, and the Greens have, have since walked a bit of this back, and it has been reported, and it's reported today on the 9th of August, that Thorpe and Band will lead negotiations with Linda Burney in order to get the referendum through the Senate. But the Green position, Green's position remains unclear. They went to the last election demanding treaty first, and now it's uncertain. This is what Thorpe said this week. Treaty will provide that mechanism for us to negotiate equal terms on how we can live together in the same country and celebrate us as well. We've made it clear that the Greens want to see progress on all elements of the statement. We support legislation that improves the lives of First Nations people and I look forward to, to talking with Minister Burney about how we achieve that together in this parliament. Okay, so that sounds overtly like a, a more modest statement, but it's still yeah. very unclear. The Greens' position is just not clear and it needs to be. Does Thorpe cling to an early position? Does Bant do the same? I mean, it's just, we're going back to April. It's not a long time. And if they do, they would be turning their backs on the 243 delegates who wrote and endorsed the Uluru Statement. When we get to other opponents, opponents, and I I spoke to a member of the expert panel uh, just last week, I found there was some anxiety around CLPNT Senator, who's mentioned before, Jacinta Price. And she is an Indigenous woman 
and uh, she has uh, a, a long history of involvement in, in politics and in and around Alice Springs. You know, the concern is that she may become a loud opponent of constitutional recognition. So imagine that. Hanson, Thorpe and Price sitting to the left of the Senate president voting no on constitutional recognition of First Australians. Yeah. And it could, and it could happen, although it would be a disaster. It's hard I mean, to watch. Joe and I might disagree on this, but I think Thorpe and Price have solid arguments and both need to be responded to by argument, better arguments, respectfully. Not Hanson. She can be ignored. You know? Always, she can always be ignored ignore Hanson. Always and she, ignore you, Hanson. You know you're dealing with a narrow major, a minority with Hanson anyway. But Thorpe and Price offer a real threat to, to, to the process. And least. I mostly disagree with Price. More than thought, but yeah. Yeah, look, Price's position is one of practical reconciliation, that we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And she has a point because our gum chewing has been pretty poor, as any look at the annual reports to Parliament on bridging the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australian shows. Yeah, I mean, like, fair game. The way she sees it is that there's a lot of other problems to solve before this. The other side of the argument is that this is the pathway to solve those problems. I think that's a real stalemate mentality. Mm. But for her to be sitting there saying, you haven't done a good job on this, so why should we trust you on this, Mm. is kind of reasonable. And there is still that sort of, you know, mindset of maybe I'm part of the government, but it's still a coloniser government, so I kind of get it. Like it's yeah, kind well, of symbolic reconciliation can't ignore practical reconciliation, and 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 we have got these things horribly wrong. Uh, our governments have throughout throughout Australian history have got these things horribly wrong. When we do have massive gaps in terms of life expectancy, in terms of criminal offending, I mean, a, a, an Indigenous Australian is five times more likely to be um, uh, to be murdered than yeah. a non-Indigenous Australian. And yeah. the, the flip side of that is that an Indigenous Australian is five times more likely to have committed a murder. So there is this great yawning gap. And, and to a large degree, a lot of these problems are insurmountable. They are really. When we get into deep remote Australia, places with no economy, and we sometimes say we live in a society, not an economy, but if you've got no economy, you can't you can't create a society around that because there's just simply no money there and, and what will be left is basically, you know, breeding grounds for poverty and crime and, and all sorts of really bad outcomes. Basic housing will solve a lot of problems, but... Housing we'll, is so we'll crucial. So so crucial, but in a place where there is no economy, no way of of, of people who live there making a quid, earning a dollar uh, in work, uh, <coughs> then really, what what can you expect? Yeah. So so these problems are going to be with us for a very very long time, but certainly some of the bridging the gap stuff needs to be dealt with, you know, urgently. These are urgent matters, and those are practical reconciliation matters which, which Jacinda Price focuses on. We could swap one submarine for many of these people to be a lot happier in their lives. God. Well, we're one paying, submarine. What we're paying the, what are we paying the French? $5 billion? 5.6, 5, 5. I think it is, yeah. $5.6 billion just as a, sorry, sorry, we, we want another one. We want, we want our subs from somewhere else. I mean, Just give every dollars. Indigenous person, regardless of their lineage, a fucking house. Yeah, we took their look, land, give it back. Mean, Pay the rent, fuck's sake. Yeah, look, all that's true. But in the past, what we've seen too is throwing money 
at these problems is, is really just a bad way of going to. It needs to be targeted. It needs to be better systems. The other thing that bothers me about this is that money goes from, from, from uh, the federal coffers to the NT coffers, and it's like, you know, let's cut out the middleman sometimes yeah. uh, because, you know, you might remember Kevin Rudd's uh, attempt at uh, practical reconciliation after the apology to the Stolen Generations, and part of that was to build... I can't remember now, but it was thousands and thousands of, of Indigenous uh, houses and billions were invested in that. But it went through the NT's hands and really, in terms of the targets, they got n- not even 25% of the building done. Yeah. And yeah. that was because it got rorted by various Politics. NT governments, Labor and uh, CLP, and, yeah. uh, and and it's just not a good way to spend that. Yeah. It's not an argument for privatization, but that's 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 dark. Yeah. Oh, look, it, it, it just it just it is what it, it is what it was. I mean, uh, it, it basically, you know, there was money there to to buy, let's say, to to, to construct ten thousand new houses, and in the end, only two thousand were constructed. Yeah, with the, with and the same else is on spend. their ass. Yeah, mm. as long as if the money was well, money went back to Canberra, it, it, it got spent shame. within the territory yeah, in their general shame. revenue. All right, so let's get back to this. Imagine that when we have this referendum and we fail to get a majority overall in the affirmative or two or more states reject the question and the referendum fails. Just imagine that, right? Just imagine that. We put up a basic principle that says, do you believe that Indigenous Australians should receive recognition in our constitution, a constitution now in 2022? I mean... What would we say to Indigenous Australians if the answer to that was no? Yes, I mean, yeah. I, I just don't know where we can go from there. You know, yeah. I, I don't know where we could go in terms of rec- in terms of reconciliation going forward. I, I just think it, it you know, the, the threat that's posed around this business of voice, around this business um, of of the referendum, if it fails, if it's not properly argued, if we allow the the the, the, the randos and the extreme voices to win out, to basically split Middle Australia and, and win it, win the day, you know, just imagine. Speaking to an Indigenous Australian, and when they look us in the eye and say, "Sorry, we we, we don't recognise your existence." That's democracy, mate. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. And it's just, as I say, I just don't know where we where we where we go from there. Um, look, in its design, the, the Uluru Statement offers not a win for some and a loss for others, but a win for this nation and its people. This is something that's often often overlooked. This is what I talked about, you know, win loss and all that sort of stuff. You forget about that. Um, these are big things for Australians to contemplate, all Australians to contemplate, because they define not just who we are, but what we think of ourselves. And rather than a crazy rumble over the date to celebrate Australian nationhood, this, that's where we are at the moment, you know, Australia Day, January 26, let's change the date and all this kind of mad stuff, which is truly symbolic, right? Yeah. And rather than a crazy rumble over that, the Uluru Statement offers our last best chance of reconciliation and ultimately peace, peace with ourselves. And the Uluru Statement is not about conceding anything to anyone. In its design, it offers not a win for some and a loss for others, but a win for this nation and all of its people. I don't remember anything like it. I don't remember the last time something cataclysmic changed that actually meant something to this country to acknowledge the First Nations people I mean, it's. I, 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 I wouldn't even want to make a comparison with the Republican um, a referendum. This is the <sighs> biggest thing that this country's had to decide upon 
probably since 1901. Yeah. And finally, we cannot truly become a nation. This is the thing, right? You know, it's how we feel about ourselves. We can't really see ourselves as a nation until there is genuine reconciliation with First Australia. And the Uluru Statement is a pathway to a nation at peace with itself and its past. Forget January 26th. That would be something to celebrate. It offers a chance for, in, for a new date of, uh, to celebrate our nationhood too. Absolutely. When, when the Uluru Statement gets through. And it has not been a huge week in Pete Evans. Not huge. Start- whinging about how much you miss Pete. Don't worry, we're going back into the vault, but it's not very far back. Don't have to go far. No. About a month ago on Pete's Evolve podcast, and a Ooh. huge thanks to at Cam Lives here on Twitter for sending us this because it's on amazing. On your Cam, you're a champion. Pete had a guest named Sol Luckman. Look him up if you want to. It mm. sucks. Yeah. Here is a snippet of what they talked about. People have talked about it as flat earth and there are other theories, but what it's not is some kind of strange disc. Okay. No one with any credibility is saying that it's some kind of disc. And so when you begin uh, looking at it from this perspective, things get weirder and weirder. Antarctica ceases to be a, a continent at the South of the globe. And it becomes a large ice wall encircling our, our world. And the ice wall is basically defining the edge of a crater. And so we're living in a kind of gigantic pond. And when you go up to the edge of the ice wall, and there's books about this and testimonials, eyewitness accounts, and all kinds of things having to do with this subject, then then the earth goes on and on. It goes on for many millions, perhaps, of miles. And there are many, many other craters with other civilizations. So that instead of having like planets... We, ha- we do have extraterrestrials in the extra part of this earth, and they're living in their own ecosystems in these craters, much like our own, but they might have different energetics in those craters. They might be- have, uh, they might have uh, different sized bodies. You might have craters with dinosaurs still living. Who knows what? We don't know. Nobody knows, or at least nobody who knows is telling us what they know. That's a lot to tell. Taking after it is after, a lot, isn't it? <laughs> Twelve years of schooling and getting taught all of this stuff, and anything you're being told that is of a of a mainstream nature, and I really don't care what it is, is at least ninety percent a lie. And there you have it. Pete mm. is diving into flat Earth, and it's flat about Earth. time. To be honest, I mean, if anything, it's long overdue. Yeah, predictable. To his credit. He says at the end of that diatribe of nonsense <laughs> that it's a lot to take in. Yeah. And that, that's his immediate thought. But then Pete being Pete decides to have a go at schooling. Yeah. 12 years of learning bullshit about solar systems and all those fake NASA lies. Having those globes in the classroom. Have, I mean, know, those globes. Oh, They're sending out the wrong message. Oh, it's all wrong. So Sol says the magic words that – Anything you are being told of a mainstream nature is at least 90% a lie. And mm. there you go. Yeah, Pete's off. Being go. He's, he's, go. he's away. He's away. Jesus Christ, Pete, where do you find these people? I look at <laughs> cookers all the time and I can't find people this dumb. Either you believe this and you're an idiot or you don't and you're platforming complete lunatics. <laughs> There's not many virtuous options there, Pete. Either or. Either or. Yeah. yeah you're not coming off well. 
I actually don't care that you think food is medicine. I genuinely don't. Maybe mm. in some situations, it actually is. Chicken soup and that, yeah. True, true. Ketogenic diets under close supervisions are actual treatments for epilepsy. Yeah. It can have amazing effects for res- like for people who have autoimmune disorders. These are real things, not feeding children liver, but that's a whole other story. Bubba <laughs> Yum Yum was a mistake. But how did you go from Paleo Pete to Flat Earth Pete? Like I could hear it in your voice. You weren't sure what to think of that. You had hesitation. Yeah. But the problem is is as long as it serves as a counter-narrative, your stunted teenager mind just instantly snaps back into <laughs> believing anything it's fed. Now, Pete, you need to rein it in a bit because yeah. you've gone too far. Either mm. you're crazy, stupid, probably both, or you're making terrible media to trick impressionable morons into believing in an alternative reality, which they will then, in turn, believe anything you say as long as it's contrary to popular belief because you you're go. all addicted to counter-narratives. Mm-hmm. It's almost certainly the latter. Yeah. You're a malignant narcissist, wannabe cult leader, and you're platforming flat earth theories with zero evidence to back it up because this is just a day that ends in Y for you. (laughs) But for can't say because of Stevie's sake, Pete. Don't swear. Don't swear. God is it. Craters? You're better than that. Uh, Okay. Okay. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. He's not. He's not, Joel. And you have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. And if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. Jack, you've had on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with a K. We set up a Facebook page. You can find it fairly easily if you just search for it. Yes. But the other part was the begging part. Promoting Mm -hmm. a podcast is easier said than done. And we say this because if you share it, share it amongst your friends. Throw these things out there. Phil Whitehead got us a new listener. He sent me a message and told me about it. I appreciate that. On you, Phil. And we do, we do, we do get a few, uh, we do get a few uh, references on Twitter, and we really appreciate. I that like too. to see it. I do too. It does me a glad, yeah. <laughs> the Patreon is up and running, and we ask listeners to consider throwing a few dollars our way. For as little as five dollars a month, you'll have access to all sorts of bonus content. And if you give us even more money, you get a whole bunch of other benefits. You can even watch us record us a show. If we get to a thousand patrons, I promise I'll buy Alex Jones liver supplements. I probably need them, and I'll rebrand them as Elephant Juice for slow racehorses. Ooh, we love the grift. It's just we're not as good at it as the cookers are. Help us. We're morally conflicted. I'm not morally conflicted at all. I, I, now I know Trump's safe isn't safe. Look out, burglars, Donald. We are coming. I'm going to take your Adderall stash all day long. <laughs> and finally, all feedback, tips, and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, even if it's to tell us that Stevie was right and we shouldn't swear. Fuck that, listeners. I'll be swearing my ass off next week. It's a harsh world, Stevie, and it will be an important lesson for you to learn. She'll never hear the edits. Thanks, <laughs> listeners. I'll Thanks, see you next time. See you next time. I don't think I ever want to talk to any of those people. Fuck me. You guys are bastards.